Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers. And I'm Daniel Rolls. And today, Daniel, we are talking about the state of content marketing. We are. I, I really wanted to call this one... Content marketing is dead, but Kieran gave me one of those looks. Yeah, we've done that a few times. <laughs> yeah, probably. And everyone just looks and goes, it's really not if you yeah, say that. Yeah. I mean, someone even tweeted when we did, is Twitter dead? The answer is obviously no if you're asking the question. Yeah, so. because you guys do that all the time. Yeah, so we won't yeah. do that. We're trying so, to learn. We're trying to learn from our mistakes. We were having some conversations, as we normally do when we're planning out podcast content, and loads of different things really coming up about content marketing and the challenges of content marketing. And we've always talked about the level of noise being a problem and standing out amongst that noise. But there are some specific issues that we wanted to work through. And I would kind of like to start, and I'm going to rejig from what's in notes in front of us just to throw throw Kieran a little bit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but AMP pages. Ah. Right. So AMP pages are a Google thing, accelerated mobile pages. Do you know what? They're not actually a Google thing. Are they not? No, it is open oh. source. But Google have like heavily invested and put their full weight behind it. Right. And, so and I think it's it's hard to draw a line between where where yeah. the AMP project starts and, and Google starts and stops and yeah, all that's jazz. And, th- and this comes down to what they did. They said, okay, well, it should be a really nice, fast experience on mobile, which is a very, very good point. Yeah. And what we're going to do is create this much lighter format of web pages to avoid all the rubbish that can slow web pages down, all good so far. And we're going to allow you to submit those in Search Console. And you can do that, and then we're going to list those and kind of prioritize those in the search results when people search on mobile devices. All sounds reasonable so far. What you don't immediately realize is what's actually happening is Google is caching these themselves. So they're basically creating a copy of your website, and actually you're very limited in what you can do in them. So initially you can put analytics code in them, you can add many of your menus and all those sorts of things, and it meant you ended up with this kind of version of your content that wasn't really in your website. It was just kind of a bit of content that Google had. So you'd search in Google, you'd get this content, and then you'd probably leave without doing anything else on your website. So in terms of driving action, it was a bit of a massive problem. And the argument against them was, well, why not just create really efficient web pages? Rather than bring out another standard that actually now, looking at it, has bloated a little bit in itself anyway, why can't we do that? And this this kind of comes down to a bit of a, challenge that a few of us are having with google in that you've got this amp page thing and it seems to benefit people that are searching but not really if you want to do anything with those people afterwards and there's got to be a balance because if you're giving away content for free as part of your content marketing you do want to drive a conversion or something after that and yes you don't want to get in people's way and have a thousand pop-ups and all that sort of rubbish but you at least be able to want to be able to signpost somewhere we have got some other stuff so there are ways of doing it but i, I was never that keen on the format we ran it for a while and we switched it off and actually our website traffic has gone through the roof since then so it didn't seem to have too negative an impact on us from that point of view now that comes on to on our notes in front of us which is right at the bottom now so i am jumping all over the place just to throw kieran completely today but it's essentially this thing of you get more and more content in google Mm. and you gave me the, the example that you were booking a flight you don't even need to go to the flight website most no. of the time now. You can do it all in the hotels, same thing. Yeah. Searching hotels, they'll list them. You can visit the website. They make it actually quite – it's not the most obvious place to click to find their website in the first place. So the problem is if you've got definition results. So if I search for a recipe and I get most of that recipe in Google itself, or if I want a definition of a term and I get the definition in Google itself, 
you're potentially less and less likely to go through to the actual website, which is a real challenge if you're a marketer and you want people on your website. Now, the argument would be, well, the user's getting a great experience. They've got what they want and it doesn't matter. If that's at the expense of the people providing the content, there is potentially a bit of a balance to be had here. And I think the balance might be starting to lean the wrong way a little bit. So I think we've just got to be acutely aware of that. But we've we've shot ourselves in the foot as well because it's our own fault for bombarding people with pop-ups and ads and all sorts of things they don't really want. And having slow web pages as well. Do you know what? Thinking about it, and this has only just really occurred to me because we were having a a, a bit of a discussion about yeah, this earlier. And it, in a way, elements of it make me quite quite cross. But you know, from a content marketing perspective, you get you do naturally get a lot of people who will come, just consume the content, disappear off again. In a way, is does it matter that they're just getting it from Google and not hitting your site? In a way, that sort of helps. A no, I bit. think it does in a way. Can yeah, I there, there is a positive side to it. Yeah, I, I don't mind if someone doesn't want what I'm offering if they come to my website get the content and leave that's great and at least I've had a brand touch point so from a branding point of view they've been to my website they've been exposed to my brand Uh, from a visual identity point of view hopefully they know who we are to some extent that's fine and they might leave and then maybe if they do that five or six more times they might build a bit more awareness and then when they come to think I want that thing now Mm. then they'll come to us if you're consuming it in Google itself you're very often not seeing the brand at all You might go in potentially and say, I want to book a flight. So say you want to go to a very specific destination from a very specific destination, say from somewhere crazy like the Isle of Wight to the island of Jersey, (laughs) a pretty specific journey uh, from where Kieran is to where I live. You would not, you better book that flight a number of times without really knowing until you actually got on the plane or you got the ticket or something else, who was the provider. And it might not be on your radar. The only, only people that do this route, and actually I should be checking with them if there's some bad weather or something like that, you know, are they flying over this period of time? And I just think that's the disconnect a little bit is that you're not necessarily aware of who the provider of the content or the thing is. Yeah. And therefore there might be a little bit missing from that. There's that. You can play devil's advocate either way. Yeah. I mean, there's that. The other, the other side of this is it, it kind of feels cruel. Google, if you're listening, I think this is a little bit cruel because actually you're doing this to all the people that have followed your advice and put in place things like AMP to make for a better user experience and to speed things up. And, you know, we, we, we get that. But now at their expense, you're keeping users on your, your search engine results and not taking them through. And that, that kind of feels harsh. Like if I haven't bothered to implement any of this stuff, it's harder for, for the search engines to necessarily get to it, right? I think the problem is Google is in such a monopoly position now. They can kind of do things to their own agenda, which is fine. Uh, But there is also a balance between all the content that's being provided and created as well. And I think that, as I say, I I think most of the stuff they're doing is with good intention. There's a logical reason behind it, but I think it can happen kind of flatly and you can lose a lot of people getting traffic to certain websites. One thing I would say, though, however, counter to this to kind of (laughs) contradict myself, when you get a definition result, you know, and it's got the definition at the top and it's got actually some of the text in there, those clicks tend to get 25% more clicks than those that haven't. So actually that would say people do bother clicking through in some cases as well. I just think there's a balance to be had here and I'm sure they're, they've debated this internally and so on as well. So just be aware of that. Um, there's some interesting stuff that was said by Rand Fishkin as well. Yeah, he, he he gave a great speech actually as Brighton SEO and I'd encourage all of you to go along and listen to it because I think, you know, what he's arguing in that talk was really 
exciting, like quite quite. So, what was his gist? What was his so his general gist is is exactly this: that you know, for a long time, Google it was kind of a magic trio between Google content marketers and searchers yeah so the content marketers are producing lots of great content uh, and google is kind of acting as the middleman to, to hook up the searchers with the great content right but actually in in recent months uh, there have been a number of changes that have been made within the google search engine results pages whereby the users are just being kept within google and google are effectively you know grabbing the content from other sources and serving it up within their own property and not necessarily taking people through and and that you know that that's kind of a little bit unfair but you know to give him his due what he's arguing is actually that's just how it is and there's nothing you can do about it because they, as you rightly you said earlier google have a bit of a monopoly but is the logic behind this is it the fact that actually which we've been saying for years is that content marketing has got noisy there's more and more rubbish content yeah. out there and actually google is saying you want enough's enough people are being bombarded with nonsense yeah. we need to help them filter it yeah. and we're going to filter it pretty ruthlessly which is probably how they see it doing it well they've always you know they've always had that mantra that the searcher is king right yeah, and right. i think you know we're seeing that you know come through by the bucket full at the moment so something that neil patel has said and we've kind of discovered as well um is that it's not necessarily just about standard content that google can create so yeah so uh, neil patel's argument for the last 12 months or so now is it's been very much you know if you want really effective uh, organic uh, traffic uh, create a tool uh, because a tool isn't something that can be easily replicated or you know sucked into the search results necessarily. It's it's a it's a key value added offering that you're able to to create and actually to grow an audience around. And that's a very valid point. It's barrier to entry, which is it's a lot harder to create a tool than it is to write a 300 word blog post. Which is why we've got a load of rubbish 300 word blog posts and a load of tools. And actually, if that tool provides value, you'll come back and use it. Yeah. If it doesn't, you won't. So yeah, it could be a tool. It could be an app. It can be lots of things, but it's got to be it's got to be good. You can't just build it and they will come. Like it's got to have actual actual tentacles that reach out and grab people and make them feel this is great. It's a real Kieran analogy: tentacles that reach out and grab people. I'm going to use that one. I like it. I like it. So, um, give you an example from us that worked really well. We have this digital skills benchmark, which is a tool that people use, and it allows you to benchmark your digital skills. Uh, but what we then did, I mean, you can go on and use that as well. But then what we did is we got loads and loads of data from that and we compiled it into a report and said, okay, if you've got all this anonymous data, where are people's skills in different industries? And that has created loads of coverage, loads of links, and it's actually had a fairly significant impact on our search rankings. Now, that's a fair bit of work, but I would say it's no more work than 10, 20 blog posts would have been. And actually it's had a far more significant mm. impact in many cases, although saying that, we have completely changed our attitude towards writing blog posts. We do a lot more research now. Uh, Pete, who is our journalist, uh, does a phenomenal amount of proper investigative journalist work into these things uh, and uh, does a really, really good job. And it's had a really big impact on the traffic that we get from each of those blog posts. And the number of people linking to them and yeah. sharing them and, you know, all that good stuff. And again, it's barrier to entry. If you put a lot more effort into the articles, yeah. you actually get a lot more back from them. We've said this always, yeah, but, and I think this is the same principle at work, really. The, the bar is being raised all of the time. And So if we end, turn full circle, do we agree with Google now? I, <laughs> do you know what? I, I have to be honest, Google, I'm a bit disappointed in you, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. You know, like anything, you, you've got to look at the landscape you're in, not idealize on how you wish it is that that's never going to work for anybody is it look right. this is how it is let's kind of get get with the program and i know and i would i mentioned it once again up 
listen to Rand Fishkin's talk at, at, at Brighton. We'll put this in the show notes. We will. We'll we'll put a link to it because it's a really, really great talk. And I think, I think it will in, inspire you all to maybe start going in some new directions and, you know, really thinking about where's your content marketing going? What are you trying to achieve with it? And how are you actually going to, going to do that? You can't just keep on banging on with the same strategy again and again if it's not working. So while you're being annoyed with Google, how about YouTube? Oh, don't get me started. So explain what you're annoyed about. Right. So YouTube has always been somewhat annoying for me. So a pet hate for me is when you go on to a brand website and that brand have, in my opinion, rather foolishly embedded a YouTube video into their website. Why, why don't I like that? Well, because more often than not, they've not taken the trouble to adjust the embed code. And by default, what YouTube's embed code does is it will, at the end of the video, put you through to links to lots of other videos in YouTube that you might like. Now, if your customer's doing customer research and looking at, you know, your competitors' videos, which a lot of them may well be doing in a lot of cases, they're going to get competitors' videos on your website. It's going to be served up and you'll never know it. You won't, you won't know because it's all being served up within that little window that goes directly through into YouTube. Now, you've spent... Lots of, you know, really valuable, hard fought for marketing pounds and dollars to get people to your website. If you embed a YouTube video onto your website, you've just created a hole that could be linking straight through to your top competitors. And, and it's not I- it's not just that. It's also branding as well. I, mean, I completely agree. And it's also that you just have some videos up that are completely inappropriate and low quality. Yeah, and so on. But what have they changed that's annoyed you? So what they've changed is uh, for a long time, I've I've been dining out on a bit of a hack. So... The, the hack is you used to be able to go in and when you connect to a YouTube video and you go to the share, you know, give me the sharing code so you can embed it into your, your website, you used to be able to tick a little box. Now, it was off the screen. You had to scroll down and find it. But if you knew it was there, you could tick a little box and it would stop showing those you know other videos you might like to watch at the end, which was great. It was a bit of a workaround, but it meant that you could still you know use your, your YouTube videos. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying putting videos on YouTube is bad. YouTube's an amazing resource for for finding new people. You just don't want to be embedding those on your website. You know, video sharing services, they're not hugely expensive. You can get some really professional results and have your own videos in your own space and get, you know, much more detailed analytics and all sorts of added benefits well over and above what what YouTube is is able to deliver you. I just think everybody needs to wake up to this. And, and stop doing it. So question for you all, just stop what you're doing and ask yourself, do we have any YouTube in video, videos embedded on our website? And I, my recommendation would be, actually, you should get serious about video and you should actually get your own video sharing service. You know, go along to something like Wistia or, or, or Vimeo. They have some really great options, uh, which, which, you know, aren't horrifically expensive. Uh, and with that, you get your own branded player you get control over how the player works it's brilliant and you also get a really hot content delivery network so basically it means that if you're serving the video up through your website your website server doesn't get absolutely mullered by you know lots of video traffic being demanded from it the video is all taken care of by the video sharing service and they're going to be working very very hard behind the scenes to make sure anybody watching a vimeo or wistia video is going to get it delivered in the right size and the right format for the device at a, at a a reasonable speed it's great it's magic 
just makes it work. It takes all the hassle out of it. So that's uh, Kieran's career opportunities at Google over. And uh, <laughs> so we're going to move on. Actually, do you know what? If anyone from YouTube is listening, I'd be really interested in your opinions on this. Whenever we have a bit of a bash at Google or, or Facebook or wherever I have a kind of discussing the pros and cons of what they're doing. Actually, if you've got a counterpoint, we would be really, really happy to feature it. So let us know. Yeah, maybe we've completely missed the point or missed the boat on it. You know, set us straight and you know, we'll get you on and, and sort it out. So, moving on in content marketing, dark social which sounds far more ominous than yeah, it actually is. Although it is a bit annoying, we've kind of mentioned it before. We have touched on dark social, dark, dark social, dark sharing. Basically, it's a, a general trend that we've been noticing for for quite some time. A lot of other marketers have picked up on it as well, whereby users aren't necessarily sharing everything on on social like they used to. Um, they do share stuff, but they do it privately behind closed doors. So how do you do that? Well, if you just share something via email or through SMS or through you know live chat, private chat messaging apps, uh, then you know that that content well it's invisible to your analytics largely because those services aren't http web page services and that's what analytics works on right so you can't embed tracking code into an sms message or into a whatsapp message if that's how it's getting 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 shared um and you know as a result of that when people are sharing it you, you don't know it's it's going on or the only thing you'll see in your analytics is you'll get a large spike in none stroke direct to your website basically yeah, so- basically meaning that the analytics doesn't know where it's come from they just turned up exactly Exactly. Now, um, when you say you can't put tracking code in, you kind of can, but not your traditional analytics tracking no, code. No. So one workaround is if you use a URL shortening exactly. service, a lot of those still have, you know, built in analytics. So they can give you a little bit of a measure of, of, of how much sharing is going on there. They still can't actually measure dark social other than to say there's this whole bunch of other stuff we don't know where it comes from. I quite like the way Bitly do it. They lump in like um, SMS stroke messaging stroke email. That's how they kind of label it. They still don't. They still don't know. However, what it does do is it is it labels it up a bit more handily than just simply none or direct, <laughs> which is how analytics deals with it. The workaround for it is if you are putting content into Facebook or into Twitter or anywhere else that you put uh, URL tracking codes into that link. That says it specifically came from from Facebook Facebook in the first place. Then you shorten it maybe. Then when someone someone copies and pastes it, you won't know that it's come from dark sharing, but you'll at least know it was from Facebook originally. Originally, yeah. And that's probably the best way around it. Because from my point of view, the problem with this is that this is the situation. You put something to Facebook, someone gets that, puts it into WhatsApp. Someone then clicks on it and you see direct traffic on your website and you can't attribute the value to Facebook. But that's really where it came from in the first place. So if you put tracking code on that link in the first place and then it's copied into WhatsApp and then someone clicks through on it, at least you know that's where it came from in the first place. And the the route it took to get there doesn't matter too much from that point. It'd be nice to know, but we don't know it so well. So if you're not sure about URL tracking codes, just search URL builder. Uh, and you can do that. There's a little form from Google you can you can fill in if you're using Google Analytics. You can then put that into whatever social platform you're using. Or if you're using something like Hootsuite, click on the little advanced cog when you're putting a link in. And there's a little preset you can select the drop down and you can put Google Analytics. You can put it in there, shorten it automatically, and it makes it nice and easy to do. Um, and we'll put a link on the show notes to give you a bit of instructions how doing that if you're a bit yeah. confused by the steps I've just spoken yeah, you through. Yeah, we've, we've, I'm sure we've got articles. And that. If yeah, you yeah. haven't, we will write one. Exactly. <laughs> cover, exactly. cover it all for you. Um, so, you know, dark social is not the be all and end all, but I think it does create a real 
headache when you're trying to measure return on investment, which, you know, most marketers are. We want to know for all this effort that's going into, you know, all this social media uh, platforming and stuff, you know, how, what's actually generating in, in, in return. Really, the, the you know, specifically marking up every single post on every single platform. It's a pain, but it, it does help. It's a lot of work, but it but it will help you to get a bit of a handle on that. It's also an imp- a big improvement on, you know, things like Bitly Analytics, for example, because generally speaking, after I think it's after 30 days, uh, you don't get any data back from from those so you're not going to be able to see a full history just unless you're paying unless you're paying for it and it's it's not the cheapest of tools is it it's you know it's a it's a big chunk of change for the for the full the full service so yeah so yeah bit of work but it's a good workaround right moving us on first and third party cookies right let's clarify this is about now we've got a full article on this on the website if there's any confusion about this and we'll link through to that in the show notes first party cookies are cookies set on your browser by the website you're on. Should we explain what a cookie is? Because not yeah. everyone will know. It's not those biscuits that I love to eat. No. So it's a bit of text on your machine that basically tracks who you are and what you're doing. Now, it doesn't necessarily have any actually personal identifiable information in there. It might just have a little code, ABC123, and that will then connect and correspond to the website that set that. So they can go, right, ABC123 is on my website, and they are doing this on my website. And a number of websites will set these, but there are two types of them. And they are there for a good reason. They're there to track your behavior between multiple web pages because it it was the web was designed in such a way for reading documents, not for anything else. So when we wanted e-commerce, I need to remember you've logged in. I need to remember what's in your basket. And the cookie allows me to do that between pages, basically. Now, first-party cookies are set by the website you're on. So if I go to mywebsite.com, mywebsite.com can set those cookies. Third-party cookies were cookies that were set by other websites on that website. So say, for example, you go to a news website. There are 20 different people advertising on there. They could set a cookie on your machine, but that would be a third-party website. Very often they're used by advertising networks. So literally, you know, the advertising network will set a third-party cookie on everybody that uh, visits any of the sites that they've got advertising on, right? Yeah, and it, it remember you've seen a certain ad. Yeah. And then they can show you a sequence of other ads or they could show the same ad again and all those kind of things as well. We would also generally use it across those ad networks for retargeting. So you've been to my website, then you go to other websites and I can use the cookie for tracking you across websites yeah. and retargeting, throwing ads at you again. You've looked at this stuff, now you're interested in this. So they're a simple thing, but they can do some really cool, clever things, yeah. right? Now... Because of concerns around privacy and actually third-party cookies being used really dodgily as well, where people are setting cookies in your machine, tracking your behavior when you haven't really opted in for it, aren't even aware of it, um, and just throwing ads at you and doing all sorts of dubious things, there's been a bit of a, a reaction to that. And what's happened is the new version of Safari, which is Safari 11, I believe, mm-hmm. and the version of iOS has basically changed the rules in their browsers around cookies and normally you could opt in or out of third-party cookies in your browser and you could say how long you wanted first first party cookies to last for you know i want them to be for a month or six months or a year whatever it may be what's actually happening now is a new version of safari which has caused a bit of outrage has said that third-party cookies will be deleted after 24 hours and that first-party cookies will be deleted after a month now, the aim of that is you're not getting bombarded with stuff that you don't want. So it's after a month of inactivity. So if you haven't That's been back point. to the website, then then they're going to they're gonna get deleted. Yeah. Now, lots of advertising networks have gone, oh, my Lord, that's terrible. We can't retarget you if we're using third-party cookies. And the reaction to that, including people like the Google Display Network, which are the biggest advertising network in the world, 
have been to change the way their cookies are set from when you get a Google Display Network cookie from being a third-party cookie to being a first-party cookie. So it's actually set by the website you're visiting. Now, if all of this is getting confusing, don't worry, we've got the full article on the website. But what's happened is that, in my opinion, is that Safari have come out and tried to change the settings to make it a little bit more secure and make sure you'll be kind of bombard ads a little bit less so the ad networks have therefore changed the rules so who's setting the cookie so that actually you can't protect yourself in the same way and i, I think this is all a bit unthought out it's from all, that point of view it's all very cat and mouse isn't it but yeah. i think they're the advertising networks are really they're very invested in the advertisers and their own reach and ability to make money from users a web browser however they're you know, Safari <laughs> produced by Apple, they're much more interested in the user experience. And actually, I think what they're trying to do with this is to level the playing field and put put people back in control of what they get exposed to. And I think that's, you know, that's a really good thing. I also think there's a huge level of hypocrisy at play here as well. When all these people are having these arguments about data, the people that collect the most data about us and other people that <laughs> have been getting into trouble about collecting data. But the, I mean, if you look at Chrome itself, so Google's own browser, I use Chrome, and uh, they are talking about having an ad blocker built in, which will block low-quality ads, but yes, Google yeah. ads won't be counted as low-quality yeah. ads. So it is a bit cat and mouse between the different providers. And never forget that your browser is made by someone that probably sells advertising a lot of the time. So you've got to be careful about, you know, who you believe in terms of these kind of things. But it's worth educating yourself about first and third party cookies, what they really mean. Um, I tend to find that actually, if you're aware of your settings and you've checked your browser settings and you've really looked at them and look at the advanced settings as well, you'll kind of be a bit more aware of what's going on. Whereas if that's not something you've done, you're at risk of actually getting all sorts of stuff set on your machine that you're not really aware of and tracking your behaviours and so on. So... We shouldn't get into the pros and cons of this too much no. at the moment, but just be aware of them and you can make your own choices. And there's lots of change going on in the market anyway. Um, I think that it's just worth being aware of those changes. I think so, because you could be noticing some big shifts in how you know certain activities you've been running that have been very successful might not be working so well to be aware that you know particularly on safari ios and mac devices at the moment uh you know that that they've they've adjusted how things are working and that's that's really our point in bringing this up because things have adjusted you're not going to be able to do those lovely you know equivalent like like for like month on month year on year same month this time last year versus this year because things have shifted and occasionally within digital marketing that always happens but we like to highlight this for you all so that you can just be aware of that make some informed choices so there's our state of content marketing hope you found some useful tools in there as ever all of the tools that we've mentioned are in the show notes go to targetinternet.com forward slash podcast and you'll find those and thank you very much listening for the digital marketing podcast thanks very much for listening to the digital marketing podcast if you want to continue your learning journey get over to targetinternet.com and do our digital skills benchmark it's completely free it will assess all of your digital skills tell you where your skills gaps are and recommend lots of free content to continue your learning journey so get over do the digital marketing skills benchmark and continue your learning journey today